This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3248 for Wednesday the 13th of January 2021. Today's show is entitled, SARS-CoV-2 Detection by PCR Explanation and is part of the series, Health and Healthcare. It is the 30th show of Be Easy, and is about 24 minutes long, and carries a clean flag. The summary is, this episode summarizes the process to detect the virus that causes COVID-19 by PCR. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Hello, Hacker Public Radio fans. This is Bees once again with another episode. This one is a, a requested episode to talk about the mechanics of the SARS-CoV-2 PCR tests. So just a little point of clarification, the, the virus that causes the disease of COVID-19 is called SARS-CoV-2 because it is the second version. What we knew as SARS is the first strain of this type of virus. For a little bit of background, uh, I'm not going to go too deep into the full background of all of molecular biology, but to start out with, um, the coronavirus, or this particular coronavirus, and all coronaviruses are uh, a subfamily of viruses called coronaviridae, and they are known for having a positive strand RNA uh, genetic backbone for their um, inside of a capsid that is um, made out of protein. And so, what negative, what um, positive strand RNA means, and that's the type of virus it is, it means that what encodes its genetic material is not made out of DNA like what our, what is made what we're made out of mostly we have RNA obviously as well but our RNA is a transit is a transient chemical in our bodies that only get produced on the way to producing proteins in a regulated fashion like I said I don't want to go too deep into all the biology of it but the uh, tradition the central dogma of molecular biology is DNA turns into RNA, turns into protein. And that's what happens in most living beings uh, on this planet. But for certain viruses, uh, they store their primary genetic material as RNA. And so positive strand RNA means that um, the thing that you are um, your genetic code, you know, there's two copies of your DNA. One goes in one direction, one goes in the other. Um, so it really is like what direction your the DNA segment is being produced. 
is it being produced from the from the the reverse version of the thing that makes the protein or the thing that makes the protein and uh, the majority of the really fast killing viruses are negative strand RNA viruses because they can be immediately turned into virus but things like um, Ebola for instance are like that for um, coronaviridae they are positive strand so before you can they're really easy at making more copies of itself but um, to make more proteins it has to first turn itself into the opposite strand so that it can make um, more copies of itself uh, so that's a little bit about the background I didn't want to go I'm trying to stay as high off of the biology as I can because I can go really deep really fast and go really wide really fast um, but for this particular test uh, to understand it you first have to understand a couple things one is that the genetic material is made out of RNA and RNA unlike DNA is a lot less stable at room temperature because of that um, additional um, hydroxy group on the deoxy, so the difference between DNA and RNA is DNA is deoxyribonucleic acid, and RNA is ribonucleic acid, and so the difference in their makeup really of a of the two is one OH group on the on a ribose part of a, a nucleoside, and with that additional group, it makes it a lot more reactive and so a lot more easily break um to break down and so that's why uh, for instance the um the pfizer vaccine has to be stored at minus 80 because the traditional way of storing rna is at negative 80 degrees or at least below negative 60 degrees celsius uh, whereas dna can as you've ever seen in any true crime episode is pretty stable at room temperature for you know very long periods of time, and when it's completely dried out uh, on like a blood stain, it could be years that it, it could be stable. At least parts uh, parts of the genetic material can be still recoverable. So uh, next thing, so that's one thing to know. The other thing is one of the uh, the coronavirus attacks specific uh, types of cells in your body like all viruses they're reverse um, organ or organelle spe- um, organ specific or at least tissue type specific and so one of the places that they will attack is in your nasopharynx all the way down into your pulmonary system and so that's why they have to stick that horrible thing either through your nose or to the back of your throat because that those are the cells that can be infected by the disease. Uh, if you if you try to get it out of your finger, for instance, there wouldn't be very much of it there because it doesn't it doesn't want to go inside of finger cells. The, the proteins that it has uh, the ability to attach to are found in in different type in the sp- specific types of cells. So what it does is it goes into those cells, it sticks its uh, RNA inside of it, and then I'll, I'll share a link on. Uh, uh, to the coronavirus Wikipedia page because it kind of has a good um, visual there about how it goes into the cell and attacks the cell and puts its vir- um, its vir- genetic material in there and and uh, forces your body to make more copies of itself. Uh, but first thing we want to do is we want to get some of it 
and then we want to be able to detect it. Uh, in molecular diagnostics, there are two types usually of detection. You either, because the, the thing that you're trying to detect is so small and in such small amounts, you either have to amplify the signal or magnify the target. And PCR is, uses a target amplification. So what's the difference between the two? Uh, the signal is the thing that you're trying to see is the, is the, um, let's just say for simplicity's sake is the color that you're trying to see. You can either make it so that there's more copies of that color on that one molecule or you can make that one molecule brighter, or you can make more copies of that molecule so that you can see that very dim, that faint. Uh, signature that one molecule has. If you had a million of them, you'd be able to see it a lot more clearly. So those are the two different types. Um, something like uh, the traditional Southern blot uh, that uses, it kind of uses target, um, I mean, signal amplification because you're binding like radioactive material to the DNA and you can see radioactive material a lot easier than you can see. Um, you can see, you know, just DNA. Um, on the other hand, something like PCR is target amplification because you're making more copies of the target itself. Like, like I said before, um, the first step is collection. When you collect the sample, you either collect it in uh, a special cocktail that's known as um, universal transport, transport media or viral transport media, and it has uh, chemical agents in it that both stabilize the genetic material and neutralize the virus. It makes it so that it's um, more safe to handle outside of a level two biosafety cabinet. It's also more expensive. So not all labs use that. Other labs just use simple PBS, which is phosphate buffered saline. Yes, just salt water at a certain pH. And that also stabilizes it, uh, stabilizes the, um, the nucleic acid, but it does not inactivate the virus, which means that you should not be handling, um, PBS tubes outside of a, and opening them outside of a, um, outside of a hood, because when you open it, you can aerosolize the virus. And it's just like, you know, sneezing on someone <laughs> at that point, you have aerosolized live virus that can go infect people. But in general, most people just stay safe and whether it's PBS or VTM, they just um, process it under a hood. So once you have um, that first set of material, you have to extract the nucleic acid and separate it from all the junk and the human cells and everything that's in there. And it's a process called nucleic acid extraction. Sometimes you are doing a, total RNA extraction. You might be doing a total nucleic acid extraction where you're not separating between DNA and RNA. And then you use some other mechanism to separate DNA and RNA later. Uh, because there would not be any copies of this virus in DNA form, or very little of it, you don't really have to worry about that. Uh, so all you do is you do a total nucleic acid extraction, which um, there's various different methods and vendors that do that. But uh, one of the most common ways of doing it is using um, the chemical makeup of 
um, nucleic acid against itself and, you know, using different chem the different chemical properties to first get it out of solution, then get rid of any proteins that might be attached to it because, you know, proteins usually encircle the, the nucleic acids very readily. And then, um, so you want to first get all of it, then you want to purify and remove any proteins that are attached. Then you want to remove the stuff that you use to purify the proteins. And then you can elute into a um, buffer, you know, water-based buffer. There, like I said, there's a couple different ways to do it. Sometimes um, some methods use the, most of the time you're using, you're using things about the, the charge of uh, a nucleic acids that, and in using those properties to purify it. Sometimes you're using, um, when you're doing like a DNA extraction, you might just be using um, other things. One easy thing you can do to, and this is an experiment I've done with my kids and you can do it too, is um, you can look it up on the internet. It's really simple. You can take, uh, because of the way strawberries uh, genetic material is, they have a really large amount of DNA per cell. And it's really easy to do your own DNA extraction on strawberries. Basically, what you need is um, some soap, some salt, and some uh, isopropyl alcohol. And it's one of the most basic ways of doing a nucleic acid extraction. Um, Use the soap to disrupt all the cell membranes. Use the... um, and, And... the salt will um, will, will make the um, make the nucleic acid precipitate out, and then the isopropyl alcohol will make the proteins uh, separate from the salt. And and when you're finished, you end up with this snot-looking, gooey material, and it's DNA, and you can show it to your kids, and they can do it themselves, and they can get the snot, and they can say, "I've." purified DNA. It's really cool to see their faces when they see that. So yeah, that's the first thing you have to do is purify it. Once it's purified, it's not stable at room temperature. So if you're not going to proceed to the next steps, you need to store it at minus 80 degrees Celsius, usually an ultra low freezer that goes anywhere between minus 60 and minus 80. The next step after that is you have to, and this is usually done on an instrument with a bunch of um, proprietary enzymes um, from the different vendors. But uh, the first thing you have to do is you have to turn that RNA into DNA uh, in a process called reverse transcription. And if you've ever heard of you know, HIV, HIV is another type of virus It's a that uses um, reverse transcription in its um, life cycle. And that's just um, turning RNA into DNA. It's not something that happens in humans normally, but there are enzymes that you can uh, find in nature that do this process. And then what PCR really is, polymerase chain reaction, I'm going to do a link to that too, is it's a process where you just, um, you find a, you have a specific target that you're looking for, a sequence that you're looking for. And thanks to um, researchers out of China, we know what the, the the sequence of uh, SARS-CoV-2 is. 
you, if you know what that is, then you can make a synthetic uh, set of primers and probes to detect it. Primers are used to amplify the, the, the nucleic acid. So once you've turned it from RNA to DNA, you use these primers to attach to specific, um, specific regions of the, the uh, DNA that are specific to this virus and that are different from other viruses or other human genetics. And then a probe goes in between. So you need one five prime and one three prime primer, which means basically one uh, primer that goes on. If you, if you put the uh, DNA strand horizontally, one to go on the left side, one to go on the right side, and then a probe that will match a sequence in the middle. And, what you do is the the five prime end. Um, you'll you'll start to make a copy of because of special um, enzymes. The original way you used to do it um, back in the day was you actually it was really expensive because before we discovered thermophile uh, what is it thermophilus aquaticus, it's it's a extremophile that lives under sea on uh, on lava vents. Uh, before we discovered that, every time you did the process, you had to add more enzyme because every time you got to the step where you heat up the the DNA to denature it, you kill all the enzyme and you had to put more in. But when we discovered that there was some creature in nature that lived in such a extreme temperature and still had, a, you know, obviously still had a polymerase that worked, um, we were able to use that. And so if you ever hear of, uh, for instance, the... Um, the TAC path is made by a company local to me, um, Life, Life Technologies, which is now part of Thermo Fisher Scientific. TAC is the name of that. Um, and it, it stands for that creature, Thermophilus aquaticus, T-A-Q. But yeah, what you what you do in the process is you have three different temperatures. You have a you have a temperature for. Let me pull up my notes here because I don't want to say it wrong. You have a you have a temperature for for the annealing step. You have a, a temperature for the denature step, which is really high, like ninety five degrees Celsius usually. Then you have a temperature for annealing, which is putting letting the primers and probes attach to the the thing that you're trying to attach. And then you have uh, the extension temperature, which is the temperature that you set it to to allow the polymerase, which is the enzyme that is going to make a copy of the DNA sequence, it allows it to work. So it goes basically, and these numbers are rough depending on what um, exact uh, sequence you're working with, but it's about 95 degrees Celsius to denature, um, somewhere between like around 35, 40 degrees Celsius to anneal, and then 72 degrees to extend that's those are pretty normal temperatures and every time you go to the denature you split all the dna apart when you anneal you let the primers and probes sit down on where they are supposed to go and then you let it extend and now you those two copies you just turn into four and then you do that again those four turn into eight and those eight turn into 64 and so on. 
right? So you can see how that type of exponential um, amplification can lead to uh, a large amount of the primers and probes being amplified or the, the, the target sequence that you're looking for being amplified. Now, what, what the probe does, the probe itself has a, um, a reporter part and a quencher part. The reporter part is a, is something that, um, when, when you shine a UV light on it, it is excited at a certain wavelength. And when it comes down from excitation, it makes a color. So it's a fluorophore really. And there's usually a couple of, if there's a couple different colors you can choose from, um, but that that's the basic idea and the quencher quenches the reporter when it's cl- when it's in close proximity to to it so when you do the anneal step the the quencher and reporter are really close to each other and they're sitting on top they're sitting on the ends of the probe as the rest of the probe is is touching the sequence that it matches and when the polymerase comes on it acts like a little Pac-Man and chews up all the stuff that's in front of it as it's making more uh, DNA behind it. And one of the things that it, when it clips the, um, the, the probe off, it will separate the reporter from the quencher and that will then release the light. Only at that time does it release the light. And then as, when it releases the light, you measure it. And then at the next cycle, you measure it again. At the next cycle, you measure it again. And eventually enough light is found where you start to be able to see it. And uh, your detector can actually start to pick it up. Now, all this is um, describing a a process called real-time PCR as opposed to endpoint PCR, where an endpoint PCR, you you just amplify everything. And at the end, you try to measure it. And then, you know, you can put the floor for or something else in it at the end and then try to figure out how much, um, if it was there or not. That uh, that method does work. It does have its drawbacks. Uh, the standard method for doing most uh, most things nowadays uh, are for real-time PCR. And the reason why that's good is because, one, is you can use less, it's more reliable. You can, when you're not looking at just endpoint and you're looking at every, between every cycle, if it, Amplified, you were a lot more sure because you get to see like a graph of how much it went up and that it actually did have a positive reaction at all versus, you know, we forgot to add stuff to that, to that well. So we don't know if it actually worked or not. So there's, there's some other reasons why um, real-time PCR is used now. But um, when I was first starting there, a lot of tests, we were still using endpoint PCR for, um, for detection. But, uh, but yeah, real-time PCR is is what's used um, for the most part nowadays, and that's pretty much the extent of it. Um, the thing that differs from test to test is what exactly is being de- detected. We know um, what the sequence is, but sometimes, you know, depending on the virus and you know its similarity with, for instance, SARS-CoV-1, there might not be a single uh, piece of nucleic acid that you want to be able to detect that is um, specific enough. It might still have things that are, are too similar to that. If you only sequence that one, if you only PCR that one thing, you're not sure if it's one disease or another. And so um, 
different tests will either use different sequences or different combinations of sequences from different parts of the genetic material to make sure that it is, it is, it is only specific to um, SARS-CoV-2. And that's pretty much how it works. So in summary, first thing you have to do is you have to get a little piece of cells that have some of the virus on it, usually in your nas- in either coming up through your nose or going through the back of your mouth, going to the back of your throat. The next thing you have to do is uh, purify the nucleic acid inside of that. Um, so, for, you know, you put you put that swab into uh, a transport media and bring it to the lab. Then you purify the nucleic acid. Then you go through the process of amplifying the nucleic acid while at the same. Well, first you do a reverse transcription, which will turn that DNA, that RNA into DNA. And then you amplify that DNA and start to detect it as it's being amplified. Then after that, you either know that you have, it has either amplified or has not. If it has not amplified, you are negative for the test. If it has amplified, you are positive. And that's it. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have any other questions, you can let me know and in the comments. So that'll be it. This is kind of a long episode for me, but I hope it explains uh, with enough detail, but not too much where you get too lost. This has been another episode of Hacker Public Radio. And as I always say, keep hacking. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.